0: You're listening to the Quince podcast.
1: The growing narrative of Omicron being a mild variant is worrisome. Here's why. India is reckoning with one of its highest daily COVID spikes in months, with the country reporting more than 37,000 cases on 3rd January, one of the highest caseload numbers reported since October 2021. But what is different about this surge is that it is outpacing all previous waves. At the start of the pandemic in April 2020, cases only rose about 500 every day, against a daily jump in thousands we are witnessing right now. And if we take just the last week starting 27 December 2021, cases have already increased almost six-fold. And a large factor behind this spike is the Omicron variant, whose cases have more than doubled in the past week. While case numbers have been flying off the charts, hospitalisation numbers have largely been constant since this variant reportedly causes only mild symptoms. At present, metro cities like Delhi and Mumbai have put in some lockdown measures like a weekend curfew and a limit on restaurant occupancy. But given the explosive growth of cases in India, are we underplaying the threat of Omicron and its potential impact on our fragile healthcare system? To discuss this, for today's episode, we spoke to Prof. Gautam Menon at Ashoka University and Dr. Rajiv Jayadevan, Vice Chairman of the Research Cell at Kerala IMA. Get tuned in to The Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you. And I'm your host, Imat. Let's first go over the Omicron case caseload in India to understand where we are in this pandemic at the moment and where we are headed. The estimated number of Omicron cases in India, according to official data on 12 January, is about 1,900 cases. And as I stated earlier, the official count of Omicron cases in India has already doubled just within the past week. However, this number could be a massive underestimation according to NDTV analysis. The number is a gross underestimation as the NDTV report points out because India has very few testing facilities or labs that can conduct genome sequencing which is essential to detect this variant. Each genome sequencing takes about eight days to sequence and only a small number of total cases are sequenced so far. And this variant is already in the community transmission phase with Delhi Health Minister Satyendra Jain on 31 December admitting that the variant is spreading locally in the national capital, with about 54% of the samples having the Omicron variant. Since its detection in late November 2021 in South Africa, Omicron has spread across the world, causing a tidal wave of fresh COVID cases in the UK and South Africa over the past months. And the data coming from South Africa so far tell us that the Omicron-led waves peak in about two weeks. According to a New York Times report, South Africa's daily average cases peaked at 22,852 on 15 December and then fell to 8,313 on 3rd January. But given the realities of India's testing rates and diverse population, Will Omicron behave the same way it has in South Africa? We took this question to Professor Gautam Menon, a biophysist at Ashoka University, who said that India can only draw broad lessons from South Africa given that there are vast differences in terms of population, demography, and even the vaccines we use. I think that depends upon
0: the level of complexity with which you want to address it. And this population, the population, the age structure of the population in South Africa, the age structure of the population in the UK, is very different from that in India. And also the nature of contacts is also different. India has multi-generational families living in the same house. So who contacts who and in what context is very different between all of these countries. If you have models that incorporate that level of difference between the countries, I think they will do overall a better job. We can certainly learn from those models in terms of the number that we have. But it's important to remember that in many cases, their experience is not the same as ours. For example, South Africa has a different vaccine from the ones that have been used in India. Um, So in that sense, even questions about if you catch an Omicron infection after one dose of vaccine versus two doses of vaccine versus no vaccine at all, and you are say between the ages of 20 and 30 or 50 and 60, what is the differential impact? How protected are you against going to hospitals? These are numbers which we just don't know at all, at any any level of, of confidence, especially for India. So I think we can draw broad lessons from the modelling from South Africa and the UK, but we should be a little careful about applying them en masse to
1: the situation in India. The trend lines of cases so far don't show a rosy picture as well, with the country's R0, which basically signals the rate of spread of a virus in the population going above 1. India's overall R-value is about 1.2, but in the cities of Mumbai and Delhi, it has already crossed 2. And other cities like Chennai, Pune, Kolkata may also be heading the same direction since their R0 is above 1 as well. However, while cases are increasing across India, what has also concerned health experts is the growing narrative of this variant being considered as mild and the impact that it may have. And this narrative largely stems from the data and studies from the UK which state that Omicron is less likely to put people in hospitals and results in only mild illnesses. And don't get me wrong, the same is true in India as well, with the Delhi Health Minister stating on 31st December that none of the 200 patients hospitalized in Delhi have required supplemental oxygen and that most patients only have minor symptoms. However, Dr. Raji Jayadevan, who is the Vice Chairman of the Research Cell at Kerala IMA, cautions that it is too early to say that this variant only causes mild symptoms since it has largely interacted with the young and vaccinated segments of the population.
2: Let me start with this narrative of Omicron being mild. Now imagine the flight has landed, and you're waiting at the arrival uh, at, the, at the arrival portal, and they are waiting for your, uh, for your relatives. You make an observation that the people who come out of the airport first are the youngest and the healthiest, mm-hmm. whereas the old and the frail people will take their own time to get out of the airport. Right. So when Mm -hmm. you stand outside the airport, and you see the first passengers, if you make an assumption that all the passengers on this flight are young and healthy Mm -hmm. and athletic, will that be a true assumption? No, because you have to wait until all the passengers came down to see what the profile of the passengers was. Likewise, when Omicron is first being reported, the first cases that are reported are A, people who have been traveling, people who are healthy, people who have been previously vaccinated, who picked up an, a mild or asymptomatic infection. So in that group, there will be a large number of people who have been previously vaccinated uh, and and therefore naturally immune to the SARS-CoV-2 virus. So they will invariably have mild, mild infection. That immunity could have come either from natural infection or vaccination or both in a relatively younger profile. That's the profile of the patients we are seeing right now across the world and also in India. As the weeks drag on, the disease will percolate to all age strata in the society. And then if we take a tally, we will realize the true impact of Omicron. And one particular category I will be interested in will be how it behaves in the unvaccinated segment. Mm -hmm. Also factoring in the fact that a significant number of unvaccinated people would have been naturally immunized with natural infection. The other segment I'll be very keen to look at is the elderly, people over the age of 60, how Omicron behaves in them. We don't have any reliable data on how Omicron is behaving in that segment, whether they are vaccinated or not. So until we have that data available, I would put that narrative on the back burner. It mm-hmm. may be true, it may be false. If you ask me, I will say, I do not know. Omicron, until proven otherwise, is at least as severe as it, as Delta was. And it may be more severe, it may be less severe, but we need good quality data for that. Now, the downside of these viral messages, calling it a natural immune, immunity and nature's gift and... Um, mild virus is dangerous because it lulls society into complacency and it will lead people to behave irresponsibly. Remember, this is a collective behavioral disease. Disease, so if I take the example of Germany, Germany suffered in spite of being technologically and knowledge-wise so advanced, they have suffered because the public in Germany behaved as though there was no pandemic for a long time. So by the time they picked up The huge volume of cases, it is too late to do anything. So like I said, behavior of society is a powerful force that determines the outcome of the pandemic. Now, if you factor in the triviality narrative, a large number of people believe this Omicron is a milder form and uh, it is nothing to be concerned about. Then it, it's going to aggravate the spread. It's going to—it's it's like it's going to put the accelerator. It's going to press the accelerator pedal mm. on the spreading potential of the virus. So mm. um, that is the danger of such narratives. If you ask mm. me, as I mentioned, I do not know. You show me the data after a couple of months, then I will tell you if it is mild or not. Should we wait that long? Well, until then, let's assume it's the same severity.
1: Professor Menon echoes Dr. Jayadevan's view, adding that we also don't know the long-term effects of this variant and the virus itself.
0: The fact of it being a mild variant is, to some extent, reflected in the data from South Africa. which suggests that overall there have been fewer hospitalizations associated with this wave um, as a function of time compared to earlier waves. That's a positive. But on the other hand, there is so much that we don't know about Omicron and, in fact, COVID-19 in the long term. And for example, there is this condition called long COVID, which you know, leaves survivors of a, of a COVID-19 infection with symptoms and, and strange conditions long after they have recovered from the infection, they're cured, they're, they're cured they show no trace of the virus in their, in their bodies. So we don't know enough about long COVID for one thing. In general, we don't know enough about what the effects of an infection are on an individual. All our statements are at the population level. So we can say that overall, among 20 to 30 years old, or 50 to 60 years old, we see a diminishing of cases relative to what it was in the delta wave. But that's not going to tell you about a specific 13-year-old or a specific 20 or 25-year-old, what might happen in their case. And that's a complicated interaction between both the virus and and the person's immune system. So all in all, it's in everybody's interest that as few infections happen as possible. And certainly, big public rallies, highly dense, for example, in Goa, we're seeing celebrations in Goa with a very, very high concentrations of people. This makes no sense. These people will go back to their families, to houses often far away, and then you know, act as spreaders spread of this infection in those regions. So I think now the narrative that this is mild is certainly should not be used to promote behavior that ultimately helps to spread the virus more. And it's very important. We don't know the long-term consequences of the virus, we don't know what the virus does to specific individuals. We may make broad statements of the population level, but that does not tell you whether you or I might have a much worse experience of it than someone else. And of course, the other thing is, we don't want to fill up hospitals, ICUs, our healthcare infrastructure to collapse under the weight of cases. So whatever we can do to prevent cases from growing at a, str- at a large rate is something that we should do right now and immediately.
1: The narrative of Omicron being a milder variant compared to Delta may have also resulted in a sluggish response from state governments. Here is a lowdown on how some of the state governments have acted in response to Omicron so far. The Delhi Disaster Management Authority has enforced a weekend curfew in the national capital. The Brihan Municipal Corporation, which looks after Bombay, has closed down BMC-run schools till the end of January. And the Punjab government has imposed a night curfew from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m. and have also closed down all educational institutions. But given the intensity at which case numbers are rising, do we need to scale our health and safety measures? Dr. Jayadevan believes that while there is no perfect solution to enforcing a lockdown, the current measures enforced by states only work from a messaging standpoint to alert the public about the variant.
2: See, there is no perfect solution to the pandemic. I think we need to understand that and acknowledge that very clearly. Whether it's a vaccine or whether it's a medication or a behavioural intervention or a mask, unfortunately, none of these are perfect. And the same applies to public health measures or let's say non-pharma interventions like behavioral restrictions we impose on society. But mm-hmm. in the absence of a better alternative, measures like night curfews, as much I am aware that they're trolled and people make, uh, it's, it's. I know I, I myself enjoyed the trolls of the virus coming out at night alone and all that. Mm-hmm. Now jokes apart, these public messaging systems are effective and reducing the mobility of people. Now, when you say mobility, I'm talking overall mobility, 24 hours, that's daytime and night-time. When the public are aware that there is a threat threat around, persisting at that time, prevailing at that time, yes, they will modify their behavior. If there is no such government order or movement restriction, the public would naturally assume the best case scenario, saying, oh, it's all trivial, let's all go and enjoy. Mm But I heard the virus has gone away. Remember, the public, the general public are not adept at immunology and they're not keeping uh, updated with the increasing trends of, of the pandemic and so on. They like to be informed by the authorities about what precautions that they should be following. And from that standpoint, from a mass messaging standpoint, these interventions definitely help. How do I know that? Because they've worked before. Administrators tell me that they've worked. We know that these measures have slowed down the, the spread before. We know from Google mobility data that mobility really comes down once these interventions come. So a night curfew is not just about stopping a vehicle at night. It is a collective messaging for society saying that, look, we have a problem now. Please be careful for a couple of weeks or how much of a, or, or whatever duration the curfew is for. So it's a messaging mm-hmm. of society. That's the way I see it.
1: Cases in India are currently doubling every three days, with total cases on 31st December hovering around 18,000, to now above 37,000. If you want to stay up to date with the latest COVID figures, head to the Quinn's website where you can check out our live COVID 19 blog. If you like listening to this episode, please subscribe to The Big Story for episodic updates. We're available on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, GeoSavin, and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms. For other podcasts, please log on to the Quinn website. And for any feedback, please shoot an email to podcast at thequinn.com.